And at 15, and you get a taste of just escaping all that, all those feelings, especially from wanting to be liked, wanting to be accepted, feeling lost and confused. It evolved into a very ugly lifestyle of selling uh, selling cocaine, being the life of the party, and always having it. I literally did what I wanted, when I wanted, how I felt like doing it, whenever I felt like doing it for years. I was drinking every night, and then I was I would go to sleep wondering, God, if I die tonight, please take me in my sleep. My name is Anthony Capazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. It all started in high school for me. You know, uh, high school was the, I was about 15. I was pretty unsure about everything. I was lost. I was confused. I didn't know. I didn't know anything for starters, but I didn't have a mentor or a, you know, my father wasn't in my life. My mom, you know, uh, her husband had just recently uh, left her and she was a widow for most of her life. So my mom was single trying to take care of four kids. So the time that she had to take care of four kids after she got out of work was really limited to all of us. And she did the, she did the best she could, but I do know that it just, she did what she could to prevent me from going off the cliff. Uh, She saw me headed in the direction uh, as her brother's, because her brothers were gangbangers and her brothers, they lived a addictive lifestyle, whether it was alcohol or drugs. So she was, she was worried sick because she knew what could happen. Um, seeing, you know, her brothers, you know, go through, you know, make those decisions in their lives. And, So I remember I was 15 and I was, I was just smoking weed and she really got on me and she was proactive. She threw me into outpatient treatment right away. And I was, I was thrown into outpatient counseling. I was thrown into, I was thrown into NA meetings and at 15 and you get a taste of just escaping all that, all those feelings, especially from wanting to be liked, wanting to be accepted, feeling lost and confused. You finally found something that helped you cope. And that was it for me. I, I just, I kept, I kept on rebelling. The, the more she tried to bring the hammer on me, the more distant, you know, the more rules she put on me, the more I just pushed back. And that's what caused a rebellious lifestyle for me as far as I'm going to do what I want when I want, and I'm going to get high whether you like it or not. And that's what really 
opened the floodgate for me. And it was little by little. And, you know, within a couple of years, my mom had, just to give you an idea of how, how much she loved me, <laughs> but in my eyes, she, she brought the hammer down so hard on me that she literally turned me into the cops when she found weed in my room. Holy shit, really? Yeah. Uh, well, wow. it wasn't that, but she also found stolen high school property. I had I had developed a bad habit of stealing things. And um and so I started hanging out hanging out with some kids who thought stealing was cool. And so I got addicted to that. And before you know it, she sees something that says property of <laughs> and, <Right. laughs> and she she knew immediately what is my son doing. So she took me to the to the police station and and I, I the detective was doing everything he could to really help me from like a positive point of view. But that's what actually got me started into catching a criminal background, uh, which I I still to this day don't feel good about, but my mom was doing the best that she could. So that started into probation. And long story short, within the next three years, I was in two different rehabs. I went to Rosecrans and Rockford, and then that was that was by force of my mom. And then coming back and, and trying it all over again, rebelling, pretty much it was just a vicious cycle. I'd come back home and she, she'd see me little, like within a couple of weeks, I'm just back out there. And I was chasing the party. I was chasing friends. Uh, what kind of party were you chasing? If you don't mind sharing some of the specifics around the addiction itself. Addiction yeah, what, was your, uh, what was your preference? Well, at, so at that time when I was, when I was about, so this is 15 to 17, I, I was, I was chasing just alcohol and weed. And for me, that's all it was at the time, mostly weed. Uh, alcohol didn't come into the picture till later, but alcohol was there. And that's all I was doing. All I wanted to do was get high and hang out. <laughs> I wanted to go where the girls were. I wanted to go where the, the quote unquote, the fun was. Yeah. And of course I was so just, I was so lost. I mean, you know, the idea of being accepted and loved by people who, who care for them, who care, who are just selfish because all they care about is getting high themselves it was, it was, a, it was just a, it was a, uh, it was all an illusion. Now that I think of it, it was all an illusion and it was pretty much me just taking the bait of what I thought was cool. What I thought was a sense of love and friendship and what I thought was fun, you know, fun was the, you know, I've, I've never had that much fun in my life because all I was doing was this was, was feeling good. I was chasing right. I was chasing that oh I feel so good now and and when you're feeling good you don't really care who's there I mean it's nice to have some company <laughs> uh, now that <laughs> you know now that I think of it but as long as you get yours you know as far as long as you get your you know your fix you don't yeah. care you don't care who's there you're just you're just like all right this is cool or or 
this is at the time what I thought was, oh, this is fun. And, and so what happened was after my mom saw me just go in and out and she did the best she could. Well, I obviously I I got locked up because I kept failing my my drug test for for weed. And so my probation officer gave me time for that or the, the judge. And I went to jail for I don't know, I think it was like two months before I decided that it was better for me to go to inpatient again. Uh, versus sit in a jail cell because I violated probation. Now this probation all stemmed from my mom turning me in. Let me let me mind you, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I got to take accountability for my own actions here. So it, it's all my fault. It's all my fault there. But that uh, that's the uh, disease thinking there. You know, always wanted to blame someone else. It's alcohol and pot at at first. Did it transition to being harder come as a result of? the pot or the alcohol? Yes. So I want to say fast forward to 19. That's when I started experimenting with cocaine and cocaine came in the picture and cocaine stuck around for quite some time. And that became at first it became fun, but fast forward to two years after I tried it out, I started wheeling and dealing. Yeah. And, and that was even, that was even worse because when you're doing it for free, just just because you're oh man, we, yeah, just because you're you always have it and people are always paying you for it. I mean, that just all of a sudden turns it, it turns deadly. So oh yeah, I can't if dude if I had free blow <laughs> with people always giving me money to hang out with me and coming around and people are always just, they always want to hang out with you because you've got the blow and they want to do blow. So they want to hang out with people to do it. I, I did be, I would be absolutely, I would be dead by now. Exactly. And, and it was close for me. It was close for me because there were some nights where I want to say, you know, there weren't just some, there was quite a few nights where I was like, man, you know, I kind of feel like, I did way too much. And and so I developed a sick pattern of whenever I would do too much uh, blow, I would all of a sudden, I would, I mean, I would literally drown myself in alcohol until I could go to sleep. Yeah. The alcohol, the alcohol was the only thing. I remember one night I drank a whole bottle of Hennessy to myself. Yeah. And I... I would never, ever do that. Just, I mean, just if, if, if blow wasn't in the picture, I would never drink a whole bottle to myself. I mean. Exactly. I, and, and that's the thing that people don't, I yeah. blow is a motherfucker, man. Cause it, 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 you end up drinking three or four times your normal amount to, to balance out the blow you've done. Cause you're, you, you need to, you have to chase the pillow now. Like it's a, it's a, it's fucking hard. It's a bitch. <laughs> It is. So I remember some nights it would be five in the morning and I would start, I would start to panic because we're running out of alcohol and I can't be without alcohol, you know, for the, you know, from five to 9am and as I'm struggling to try to wind down, if there's no booze to help me go to sleep, I'm having panic attack after panic attack because I'm just freaking out. And there was, there were some scary mornings where I'm literally rushing into the seven 11, 6am trying to steal uh, a 24 ounce or, or something. I mean, it was just crazy, but yeah, but yeah, that was, yeah. that was a sick lifestyle. It, 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 uh, it evolved into a very ugly lifestyle of selling 
uh, selling cocaine, being the life of the party, and always having it. And, oh, I mean, you could just imagine, dude. I, it would be, yeah, I, I just got the chills thinking about what my life would have been like had I started slinging blow it. I would be, I'd, be, I'd for sure be, I would not be on this show for sure. I'd be dead. No question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it was, um, there was some nights where people would beg me to stay because I was, I was done for the night and I'm tired and they're like, Oh no, you know what? Just, just sleep on the couch and, and you, you know, right. and, and they'd wake me up. It'd be five in the morning, six in the morning. They'd wake me up and I'm right there and I'm making money while I'm sleeping. Um, in a, in a very sick way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, just, yeah, my life turned into, um, you know, uh, it turned into things I never, I never thought that, you know, as, as, as a 15 year old that I would end up doing at 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, it, that, you know, just the level of my, my, you know, my moral, my moral compass was broken. I, I was, I was sick. I, I, I accepted things <laughs> as far as things happening around me, you know, s- sick and ugly, addictive lifestyles uh, of, of others as well. I, I had, yeah. not that I had to accept, but I was willing to accept because that crowd was giving me, you know, they were making me money, quote unquote, at the time. And so it just got uglier. It just got uglier and the rabbit hole got deeper and I pretty much, I called it, I, I think I, I want to say I called it quits like at 20, 23, like as far as the, the wheeling and dealing goes. And then, and then I struggled for the next year or so as far as letting it go. But I, I was just like, I'm done. You know, I don't want any part of this. And, and then it just turned into like my first, like my first, I want to say like my first recovery was when I was 24. Four, I really, I really did, you know, I really tried to do it on my own and I had, I had some good success with it, but it was only a matter of time before those addictive behaviors started to creep back in. And it was just one night of drinking, one night of going out to the club, right? And yeah, that, that's the that's the bullshit we sell ourselves, right? I'm only gonna do shots after 9 p.m. I'm only gonna go out on f- like Saturday or whatever whatever it is, and then we all know that that's just a slow creep into hell. Um, it just all of a sudden it's ah oh, Friday Saturday's gonna be fine. We've all done that, man. I mean, uh, I'm not gonna put words in Tyson's mouth. Oh, I've done so many different ones, man. Like how many different little conditions I've had of like oh, no, yeah. Now I only drink wine. Um, oh, now I <laughs> so many like I remember at times being like, oh, you know, tequila actually is a little bit better for me because it's on I, you know, I do it on ice and it's a little bit healthier. And then I would have a <laughs> terrible night on tequila. Then I'd move on and go, you know, I'm probably more of a gen guy is the thing. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah I, I actually did with blow one time. I said, you know what? It's too easy to do key bumps. So I'm only going to do lines this way. It'll be harder for me. <laughs> and you know, it's always some bullshit. And that lasts all about one 
missed key bump. And what then you're like, oh, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> what the fuck am I it's doing? Just, I'm like, let me, get, it's crazy. let me get the quarter out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> the back of my parliament cigarette, whatever the fuck it was, man, I, I would always figure out ways. I would actually figure out ways to use I'm not, this isn't gladiator school. Yeah. I don't want to give listeners any ideas, but I would, I would be able to turn shit into ways to do blow that would confuse me when I'd come back to reality. I'm like, what the fuck is, and then that's where the indicator started to be real to me. Like, am I really doing this so I can get more cocaine in my body? This is a fucking problem. And that was the beginning of the awareness yeah. layer, which took a long time to get through, but. Oh yeah, it's it's fucking crazy. Well, I mean, just not to glorify it either, but when you're when you're selling whatever it is, when you're selling when you're selling drugs, not only are you making money, but you're also doing the um, the substance for free. So, I mean, can you imagine being just pretty much unemployed, but you know you're making money off of a drug that you you always constantly have. I literally did what I wanted, when I wanted, how I felt like doing it, whenever I felt like doing it for years. And I mean, at the time, yeah, I thought I had it made. And that was such a false belief system. And And you probably had fistfuls of cash in your pocket just to blow on anything and anytime you wanted. every, Every day became a party, dude. I mean, and when every day becomes a party, you're only you're only headed towards a downward. I mean, it's 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 a downward spiral for sure. But what's rock bottom look like, man? I mean, what when did you? I'm sure there's we could talk about the great stories between now and then for a while. But I kind of want to dive into where did you start hitting the bottom a little bit um, or a lot and and make you start going, hey, what the? I got to hit. This is crazy. So I'll tell you what my first rock bottom was is picking up where we left off here. Was so 23 when I decided to stop to get out of the the game. I'm like, all right, I'm done selling. Uh, I'm done with this lifestyle. Let me get out of here. And so I got I got clean for a little bit. I, it was it, it was Lent actually. I remember it clear as day. I, I got off the train at you know at the, and there was a bar right across the street from the train station. And so I head in and my mom was picking me up because I didn't have a car at the time. And I'm like, I'm going to go to this bar and I'm going to have my last couple shots of Hennessy and that, and I'm going to, and I was literally, she, she was like, all right, we're going to go to church afterwards and get our, you know, our, our ashes. And so here, here I am. I'm like, okay, I had a plan. I'm like, all right, this is the last, this is it. I'm going into the bar. And I, I remember chugging like, I don't know, like six, seven, eight shots of Hennessy. And, and, and so I'm at church drunk and I'm literally going up to, you know, I'm going up to get my ashes drunk and I'm like, all right, God, I'm done with alcohol. I'm done with everything. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but I get this whole, this visual you just painted is pretty fucking yeah. Let me just rip eight or 10 shots of Henny. Yeah. Then I'm going to get my ash. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean, I don't want to detract from I the love story. It. <laughs> no. Really and the, the the comedic undertone of that is really funny to me. I'm They're like, so okay, God, God like eye rolling. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, trust me. Uh, no offense taken, guys. And and as I look at as I look back at it, yeah, I definitely laughed myself. 
it's so I'm at church. I'm pretty much talking to God and I'm like, I'm done. That's it. And so I, ha- I hit my first milestone of success with sobriety, but I, I did it all on my own and that didn't last too long. I got into a relationship as I was clean and sober and I was just drinking as a quote unquote social drinker, but the, the disease was still there. Uh, but I, I hit it better because I had it. I was in love, you know, and I was chasing, you know, I, w- I had a new addiction. So I was doing everything I can for this person that I was pursuing that I was in love for. And eventually once, let me fast forward a couple years later, well, actually let me stop there. So I cleaned up my life to the point where I lost about a hundred pounds and I was like three thirty. I got down to about two thirty, and I, I got the girlfriend. I got the, um, you know, I was in school. Uh, and I mean, I was doing, I started, I started doing something with my life and everything felt so good. Eventually little by little, as the years went by, I got back into selling weed, not Coke, but I got back into selling weed. Uh, yeah. I got back into drinking and it just slowly progressed. And before you know it, I got back into eating. Um, so addiction, food was always a thing for me. And so I started eating and drinking and and smoking, even though when I were, whenever I would smoke, I would have an anxiety attack, but I still did it anyway, which made no fucking sense. You're holding on to some false livelihood that you used to be in love with, but I would take like one or two hits of weed and I'd fucking start having an anxiety attack. And I'm like, what am I doing to myself? Why am I doing this? So then here I am chugging like six beers back to back because I'm freaking out because of the weed. That that was pretty much something that happened with the chemical imbalance later after. Um, I believe it was just the cocaine that just changed my my brain chemistry to the point where after I, I, I couldn't smoke weed the same anymore. So, but back to my point here. So I, I felt more, the disease progressed in, in this relationship and I gained all my weight back. Uh, so that was a, a bottom for me. And so after I gained all the weight that I had lost, I had basically um, got into a bad breakup. You know, the girl cheated on me, blah, 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 blah. You know, she hit it for me for a while and it was devastating. And so, okay, I use that as my fuel for revenge to get in shape again. And I, okay, you know, uh, this is about five, five years later, back in 2013. So 2009 to 2013, that's when, that's how my disease progressed. So in 2013, that was the breakup. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get in shape. And, you know, I'm going to show her what she lost out on. And so that lasted for about five months. And before you know it, dude, I fell into a worse bottom of depression. I caved in because of the alcoholism. I was just drinking too much. And so obviously you can't go to the gym. You can't work out. You can't eat healthy. If all you're doing is you're, you're, you're looking for your, you're looking forward to your next drink. That's what eventually it turned out to be. So in 2013, this is where the ugly progression started. I didn't necessarily hit a bottom, but it just got worse. And so I'll fast forward from 2013 to 2019 
I went from 330 pounds to 430 pounds. I was in the worst shape of my life. I was drinking every night. And then I was, I would go to sleep wondering, God, if I die tonight, please take me in my sleep. Because not only did I drink every night, but after I would get my buzz, it was, it was, it was my own cocktail. I'd get my buzz and then I would stuff my face with, with whatever that I had my food of choice that night. So it was my, my alcohol and then my food of choice. So both are drugs. Both, both I treat as, as, as addictions and they were both my drugs. But for me, it was, it was, I want to say for, for years, that's all it was, was alcohol and food for me. And I would just literally have, I would lock myself in my room, this room to be exact. I mean, there was all the rooms in the past, but I would lock myself in this room. I would sit right in front of this. I'm looking, as I'm looking at you, this was my desk. I would sit here, food laid out. And I just sit here just watching movies, Netflix, whatever it was. And I just sit here and just stuff my face every night. And then after I was so bloated from the alcohol and food, see that bed? I'd just lay down and it'd just all be sitting there. For years I did that. Uh, for years. And I finally hit a bottom where something wrong was going on inside of me. And I was like, God, I feel like this is, there's something else going on. And I'm starting to get scared. I, I'd wake up in the middle of the night every night at three, two, three in the morning. I'd wake up with the worst anxiety that I've ever had in my life. I, I'd have to go to the bathroom. I was having gut issues. And basically from three to 6 a.m., I'd have to take a Xanax and pray myself back to sleep. That's how bad the anxiety was. Or I'd wake up, and if it wasn't Xanax, then I'd have to drink myself back to sleep. But that was happening towards the end there for, I want to say, maybe uh, six months until I finally said, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, uh, you know, I mean, as far as eating and, and drinking every night, I did that for years. But as far as like the health problems that, that were getting worse with getting up in the middle of the night and having that anxiety attack and needing to take Xanax to fall back to sleep or needing to drink to fall back asleep or having gut issues in the restroom, uh, I knew something serious was, was happening. And so I, as I'd lay down and I'd, I'd ask God to take me in my sleep most days of the week, I, I mean, I hid from everything. I was literally the worst i became the ugliest person that i can think of in, internally and i just um i finally went to my i went to i went to my supervisor at work one of my supervisors not the supervisor but i said hey i, I for some reason god led me to him and because i was i was i was fishing around because i'm like i got to go i i, I got to go and get help and I was like, I can't do this alone. I can't do it by myself because if I go home, I'm going to go to the liquor store and that's it. It's another vicious cycle, another vicious night. So I told myself, I said, okay, if I could just get away for the next 30 to 40 days, go to a treatment center, uh, that'll be the answer. And so I started calling around and I kind of felt like they were praying on me, you know, like those treatment centers would pray on your health insurance. And they were kind of pretty much just, 
giving me their information and I just, something in me just wasn't adding up. And I just kind of felt like I was money to them. Like, I'm like, are you really trying to help me or do you just want me for my insurance here? Right. So I had that, I had that thinking going on in my head. I mean, I had a bad experience with somebody that I talked to from a treatment center and it just kind of felt like it was all money to them. So I just, that's when I was like, let me go to my supervisor. I went to him and I said, Hey man, I'm thinking about doing this. I got to go to treatment. I, I can't keep living like this anymore. And you know what he, he opened his arms up and he just like, he was like, dude, you know, he's like, I never would have thought I'm so sorry. And Hey, why don't we try doing this? Maybe you don't have to go. And he's like, you know, you're a great, you know, he just started like bringing me up, you know, like telling me good things about me and just my, and he said, let's just try, let's just try doing something else. You know, let's try AA and and let's try, uh, uh, you know, getting some help at a church, you know, going to a Bible study, you know, let's, 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 let's try some outpatient things first because, you know, I mean, I know you, you want to keep your check coming in, don't you? And of course we all know FEMA or not FEMA, but uh, FAFSA, it only, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't help you because your bills keep coming in and, you know, you don't get a check. So, okay, I, I see your point and, and I think I could do it. And so he kind of gave me the nudge that I needed to just try AA first. And, and so I remember it was Saturday night, January 26th of 2019. I'm driving home and I threw out the last, because I had some beers in my backseat and I was always drinking and driving. And so I grabbed, I had like three of them left. And I said, you know what? This is it. I grabbed them. I chucked them out the window. Forgive me, God. Um, <laughs> I Just to let you know, I, I pick up garbage now as uh, I pick up, I pick up garbage. Now. I pick up garbage yeah. now when I go walking uh, to uh, make up for that. <laughs> but um, so I, I literally, I threw them out the window and I'm like, that's it. Next morning. I texted my supervisor because I was like, I know I got to go get help. And so I saw I was told to go to this or I saw a meeting that started at 730 on a Sunday night and I worked till eight o'clock. And so I kind of pleaded with my supervisor. I said, please, can I get off at seven or 730 to go to this meeting? And so she she agreed. I went to I went to the meeting and I remember being so desperate that when I got to that meeting on January 27th, I believe, uh, of last year, I got there. And as soon as they asked, you know, is, I mean, I didn't, I didn't stand up when they asked that this was anyone's first time because I had, I'd been to AA and NA meetings from before. Um, but I realized I should have stood up because I, I would have been first step, but anyways, that's besides the point. So I had just stood up because it was my first time there. I didn't, I mean, what I meant to say was they say, they say, raise your hand, if this is your first time here. And so I was so just desperate that I stood up and I raised my hand as I stood up. I said, you know, I was just, I forgot what I said, but I, I was so desperate that I literally stood up. And so everybody could see me by the end of the meeting, I was sweating. I mean, profusely from uh, the detox and that's what started my recovery. I got a sponsor that night. I knew, you know, that, I just i i needed i need i needed to do whatever I could, and, and I didn't want to leave without getting a sponsor. For some reason, something just 
was like, dude, get a sponsor. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so, and so I got a sponsor and that's, that's where my life started. My life started to change that night. You know, you're on, let's see, January 27th. That's a, a day that'll live in infamy, right? It will. It will. I had a relapse on March uh, 6th of last year or 5th, but my new sobriety date is March 6th because I, uh, I fed, I fed into the addiction of, well, maybe, uh, I can get by with this. And it was some, some CBD, uh, that had a little bit more percentage of THC in it. And so little did I know I, I did it the way I approached it was, was my, how, how I normally would approach something that I want to get away with. So I didn't tell my sponsor, I didn't consult with anybody else or ask them their advice as, as far as, oh, this should be, this shouldn't be, you know, bad. I, I mean, I told myself, hey, it's just, it's CBD and it's just going to help me relax a little bit more. Well, moral of that story, I rationalized and I paid the price for it because all I know is I took a little, <laughs> took a little, a little pin drop on my finger it was like an like a like an oil, right? A sticky dab, and so like I was like, okay, you know, and I just ate it, and it was literally all all it was was a drop, <laughs> and that's all it took. And I noticed that within that first hour, I was like, oh shit, I'm high, I'm fucking high, and and I started panicking, I started freaking out because I'm like, I already knew that my sobriety was on the line, and I was like, fuck, I was like, this is a relapse. And so that was uh, the beginning of another another brutal turn in my journey of sobriety because when I did that relapse on March 5th of last year, I, I was honest about it right away. I talked to as many people as I could, and some people were like, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd reset my sobriety day and because I, I asked them. And some people were like, well – you know, if deep down in your heart, if you don't feel it's a relapse and, 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 and you, and you can live with, and you could be at peace with that, then you don't need to change your sobriety date. And I was wrestling with that so bad. I started building a resentment, uh, you know, towards the program because I was like, well, it's not like I went and bought an eighth of weed and I started rolling joints, you know, because then, then I'm deliberately, I deliberately know what I'm doing then. Right. Well, after after wrestling with that, I was like, "Fine, fuck it." You know what? You motherfuckers want me to, you know, are recommending me to <laughs> reset my sobriety date. I'm gonna do it, you know, and, and and I'm gonna, you know, it was like it was coming from an angry place, and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna show you all, you know, fuck you, you know, like I'm like, fuck you guys, and I reset my sobriety date. At that time, that was my attitude, obviously, but n- now it's not, n- not at all. <laughs> um, just, uh, but then. That those next thir- this, those next thirty days were the hardest for me because I came back to the meeting or my home group, and I was like, "Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I've been going through," and it wasn't it wasn't calm like that. I was pretty upset as I was talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't calm like that at all. No, I can't imagine it was. <laughs> I was I was I was I was angry. I was emotional, and I was like, "Well, you know, I've been thinking lately." And if I need to, if I have to reset my sobriety date, well then why don't I just do it the right way? Why don't I just go and get my favorite 
craft, I, I love craft beer, uh, you know, and I'm like, why don't I just go to my favorite brewery, get fucking shit faced and just, you know, go out with the bang. Like, why not? Like, like all I did was I got fucking high for a couple hours and, and, and now I got to re- like all that hard work to get to, you know, I was what, like four months. Yeah. It was like, go, I was going to be on four months of sobriety that month. It was like all that hard work fucking that I, that I, that's going to go to shit. I'm like, well then who cares? Why not just go have a night on the town? Dude, it was brutal. Uh, and, and, and I'm not, I don't want to ramble, but that went on and on for about four weeks and I was torn apart on the inside. I was, I was angry. I was miserable. And it was like, it was like the, the dark, it was the, it was like the, the black wolf in me that was, dude, he was like, he had me, he had me at the edge and he's like, I got it. I'm going to like, I'm, I got what it takes. I, I got the bait for you, Jess, you know, and, and he, and, and that thought was planted. Obviously you guys know it was me against me, but oh man, that, that, that dark wolf was so strong. Um, I don't, that I almost relapsed a month later. I did. And in June, like it was like the third week of June last year because it was my nephew's birthday party. I had, I had it in my mind <laughs> that I was going to relapse at my nephew's birthday party. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't at my nephew's birthday party. I had it in my mind that I was going to go there, have fun with the family, and then after I was going to go have a good time. And I had I had set it; it was set in stone. And so I get to the party, and my cousin already has a bottle of Hennessy that he's he's got underneath the table that he's pouring drinks up for like my other cousins. And obviously, it was a recipe for disaster. By the grace of God and the program pretty much telling me to just, you know, be outspoken about my disease as much as possible, especially with family. That was the reason why I didn't go back out. And I had I had tried to be quiet about it, but obviously I wasn't. And at that party, I said, hey, so and so, pour me a shot. And he looked at me. He's like, what? Because he knew I was sober because I had made it vocal to my cousins as well. And he's, I was like, yeah, I was like, I was like, you heard me, pour me a shot. And he was like, all right. And of course, you know, your cousins are going to be like, all right, man, sure. You yeah. know? Yeah, they're not going to say that. Yeah, yeah. They, they want, you know, they want you to partake. And so, I mean, nothing against them. Uh, but, you know, so no, he, he goes to like start pouring me a drink. My aunt, she fucking steps in right away because she heard it out of the corner of her ear. And she's like, she's like, no. There was only like six people around at that time, but they all heard it. And it was a very embarrassing moment for me. And I was like, I was like, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. You know, like I, I, I was, I was red in the face because I was so embarrassed, but I was like, okay, I'm not arguing. And I just walked away and she was worried because I was walking away to the bar, but I, you know, it was a, it was a kid party in a hotel. And so I walked to the bar and I just got a coffee, you know, like a, a hot coffee. And so I came back and she's like, do I need to check your drink? She's like, and I was like, no, no. I'm like, it's coffee. Trust me. A very humbling, but embarrassing moment. You know, humility is, is something that um, I struggle with. We all do, but um, because it could be very embarrassing when you're humbled because it, it'll make you tuck. I mean, it'll make you, <laughs> 
it, it'll shoot all that pride and ego down and put it in its place. And, and sometimes when that happens, it's, it's like a, it's, it's things. And so I went home and I was hurt that night, but, but it was for the best. And that was another relapse that, that I, I could have endured, but I, I mean, that I could have had, but I didn't. And so I pushed through and my, yeah, so my new sobriety date is March 6th. Uh, so yeah, I'm a little bit over a year sober uh, from all mind altering substances, but I'll tell you, I, I had a, um, a dark, dark uh, struggle after that almost close relapse from July to December. I was in a very, very depressed mind state. Like I was depressed. I had anxiety. I was, I had a problem with other habits. You know, I started picking up smoking, even though I wasn't an avid smoker, but the cigarettes helped me with my anger. That became a vicious cycle because I I was beating myself up for that. Cause I'm like, I know this isn't good for me and I'm doing it because of, because I'm addicted and I'm addicted to to, to substances deep down inside. I'm like, I'm not working a program if I, if I continue picking up the cigarette. And so that was eating up at me. And so the food became another thing, you know, I'd have my moments where I, you know, just go out, you know, go and have a shitty, you know, meal or I'd have a smorgasbord at night. That was something that I had to struggle with as well. So I still battled the food addiction, which I still do, but I mean, I still battled the cigarettes, not anymore, thank God. But from July to December, it was it was a battle with addiction, uh, with with other habits like cigarettes, food. I want to say pornography and masturbation. That's something that you know was really bad for me as well. So even though I was sober, I was I was still battling other addictions. You know, granted, I wasn't picking up a drink, and I wasn't picking up any other mind altering substances, but I was picking up some mind altering habits. Uh, which, which were, they could have been the death of me. They, they could have caused me to go back out because deep in my head, I would show up at a meeting and I felt paralyzed. I'm like, I can't talk about shit because the shit that I'm doing behind closed doors, like I, I couldn't talk because I wasn't practicing what I was going to preach. I've done this before. Um, I think lots of addicts have done this before where you, what the, the addictions you had that forced you, well, that, that led you to rock bottom were those. Let's put those in, in one box. So what you'll do is you'll be sober of those and then unconsciously create new new addictions that don't qualify in your mind yet as problems like cigarette smoking and or pornography or, or, or eating or whatever, whatever it is. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, and then you just, in your mind, replace them and unconsciously try to break yourself. So I, I'm not putting any words in your mouth, but I, I 100% understand what you're talking about when, with that struggle of angel and devil on your shoulder concept is the best way I can describe it, where you're always pulling yourself intentionally, whether we like to admit that or not, it's intentional to break stuff because you're comfortable around the wreckage. You're not comfortable around things that are whole. Yeah. Not you. I'm saying me personally. So it took a while to get used to being okay in a house without broken windows. And now I'm okay with it. Um, But it it takes a while to not break your own fucking windows, man. I'll tell you, man, I'm with you there. I am with you every step of the way. Yeah. It's uh, so what, what is it like now 
you know, we're always in the struggle, right? Yeah. Jesse, me, you, Tyson, all of our guests, anyone struggling with addiction, if you're in recovery, you're, you're recovering. Um, there's never a period at the end of the sentence. Uh, and it's good because I think the beauty comes from the recovering process. I love the process. You have to fall in love with the process. What's it like now today for you? Um, tell us a little bit about the sunshine. I mean, yeah. um, because uh, you and I, I'm going to share something that we talked about on a phone call. You and I had a call scheduled and you asked to push it off because you needed to go spend some time with a friend on a walk. And if it's okay to talk about that, I'm not going to get into the details, but I love the fact that you postponed our call because you know that you needed to take that walk. So tell me a little bit about that. It seems like that's where you get your sunshine now is positive momentum in that regard. The sunshine is basically living to make an impact in any and every way that I can. I think every day is an opportunity to make an impact, brother. I really do. Even if it's just a simple wave, if it's a simple, how's your day going? I mean, some people, they're so broken inside, just like we were, or just like we are, we still are, uh, yeah. you know, because honestly, I have that day, you know, I'm having that day as we speak, to be honest with you. Um, you know, some people, you know, you just never know the sunshine that God is giving you when you shine that light into someone else's life just by crossing their paths through a simple walk down the street or even through a simple phone call. I mean, it just speaks volumes into not only your life, but in their lives and also in God's kingdom as far as being beautiful creatures that we really that God really created us to be so I I do my best to remind myself that hey today's another opportunity not only did God give you another day to to do you know to, to live but also you know another day to create another opportunity another golden opportunity um, in, in, in someone else's life and and that's where the life of service comes in and I've been doing a couple things to help me through the quarantine, and they've 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 inspired others. Uh, and I'm just pretty much speaking from people who have come up to me and have went out of their way just to let me know that hey, I just want to say you inspired me. You're the reason why I'm doing this. 